I did a watercolour of the cover of the book when I was meant to be reading it. <laughs> That's quite just, impressive. My brain is full out rebelling on anything productive right now. I mean, I know the fucking book back to front, so it's... I, I did read the whole book, but, like, I planned on doing that on our off week and instead I didn't finish it until Monday night and I yeah. had to, like, sit and force myself to finish reading it. Like, yeah. I enjoyed it. I loved the book. I um, tried to do the full read-through without the notes as well and I that I think because I'm so scared of forgetting something that I notice, I always end yeah. up making notes and then it, like, what would take me... It takes me as much time as it would to read the whole book to read the first section because yeah, well, this is why I read the whole book first because I yeah. like having like just then I get to enjoy reading the book as well without note taking, which yeah. is kind of the point of doing this. Uh, but also, I found then when I went through and put the notes in, I didn't put quite as many notes because I'd already so oh, I'm that was your problem, wasn't in, it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've not quite as intensely posted it this time. Yeah, I ended up with. Because my notes are pretty sparse. You write down full things, don't you? Whereas mine are sentences to remind me of what the thing was. Oh, no, mine are only like little sentences to remind me what the thing is. Oh, are they? You've just got much more. Okay. (laughs) Because I'm noting like every new character and all of the things that happen in the plot. Yeah, I'm just noting interesting bits I like, yeah. Yeah, so for 89 pages, I've got 36 notes, which is... I have been averaging more than a note every two pages so I have cut down a bit cool well I hope you enjoy that meta look into our processes 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 yeah someone from because I put a video of me swapping the fully posted moving pictures for the unposted reaper man that was a beautiful beautiful bit of footage I'm glad you took that yeah very shakily filmed with one hand while trying to reshell <laughs> books with the other hand oh it I was wasn't hard. even I wasn't being sarcastic <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It was very satisfying to watch. <laughs> Someone from the Pratt Chat podcast asked on Twitter about what my note taking process was, and I didn't. I forgot to re- reply to them and write it out in the end because that was a. I'll reply to that later because it's intense. Mm. But it is the. I put a post it a number coded post it in the book for every note I plan on making, and those post its are color coded by plot point, talking point, character or location introduction, and then. The orangey ones are like quotes I like, but also callbacks to previous books and the little bits I'm keeping track of. Yeah, crikey. The um, the Prad Chat podcast host, I did see that tweet actually. I was thinking at some point you should do like a little 10 minute bonus content with him for both of the podcasts of just nerding out about your filing systems. Yeah, I am absolutely. Mine's not interesting that. enough. I've just got a notebook, but <laughs> I just have a notebook. It, I, I tried mean, to make it all table. nerdy in that, didn't I? I had a brief fling with the Kindle and the notes and the colour coding and the literally I've even gotten rid of the post-its this time. Wow. Like, I know which pages I'm going to. It's it didn't really speed me up trying to reference yeah. the number to the number than it did to just find a page number. Especially with this, because it's really like I'm sad I don't have the matching edition, but I quite like it because it's you there's nice You've big pages, big text. Like I'm sounding like a child, but it's and it opens really easily to different pages. You've got one of the newer ones, and it's a trade paperback size, isn't it? Yeah, it is. is yeah. It's still got the Josh Kirby illustration, which is important because this is my favourite. This is great. Well, this Josh you Kirby did this for Halloween, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I've got to dig out that photo and I'll put it in show notes. Me as Bill Dor. Do um, you have one where you still had the creepy blue contacts in before you they? 
made yes. you in lots of pain I do yeah um it's a shame isn't it because I do have blue eyes but they aren't quite creepy enough which is what I've always said about my eyes of course uh, <laughs> of course we're recording this on the 29th but it's not going out to the second this was for a discord Halloween we did so by the time this has gone out hopefully I will have tweeted lots of pictures already of the uh, time we did a discord themed Halloween do you have pictures of the pumpkin and that I'm pretty sure I've still got some pictures of the Discworld pumpkin we made. I've still got the baby elephant models that we picked uh, up from the toy shop to put on the pumpkin. Yes, we did a turtle-shaped pumpkin, grabbed some baby elephants from the toy shop and then drew, tried to draw the, a map of the disc on a paper plate and drawing pinned it on. But yeah. I think we just I did a better it. job on our logo, at least. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, In fairness, you know, I wasn't were... tipsy in a pub. So. <laughs> and you weren't using a dodgy marker pen <laughs> yeah and then we used fabric glue to try and make a wizard hat for another one of our friends wizard with two it didn't Zs. really work it didn't really work I got fabric glue all over my dungarees um <laughs> yeah but that kind of fit with the general windy theme uh, I brought along a large orangutan puppet oh yeah I was uh moist von Litvig yes femme version so yes. I had a sparkly gold dress and a moist lip wig in the form of a mus- false moustache it was very good I enjoyed it. Uh, and one, then one of our friends turned up dressed as Terry Pratchett and had done it so well, we both did a full-on double take and, take and nearly cried because I think this is after he'd passed away. Yeah, it was, and not long after. He passed away in the March and this was that October. Yeah. Oh, in which case maybe I wasn't tipsy. It was I think, 2015. I think I, oh, 15 was it? Yeah, no, I would have been then. It was a year later I gave up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for some reason I fast forwarded myself to 2021. I knew it was five years since Pratchett had died, but uh, yeah, I've just no, decided just... to forget about the rest of this year. <laughs> look, I I'm decided I am going to look forward to Christmas, regardless of what actually happens at Christmas, on the basis that I will have a pretty tree, pretty yes. lights. Yeah. Someone will have bought me a fucking present. Yeah. What do you want? For and Christmas? oh fuck knows. Good. I mean, yeah. everyone I know is getting handmade gifts. If I, I have time to make them. Okay, yeah, that's probably what you'll get to. Yeah. Cool. Like, just not stuff that takes up lots of space. No, I know. I know this. <laughs> you know this about me. We both know this about Callum and Becky. We all like things that can be consumed or put neatly on a small portion of a shelf. Yes, absolutely. Like a book. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so even if like I'm not even allowed to see anyone on Christmas, I will still cook delicious food for myself. And I will still get to do my favourite Christmas tradition of uh, when I put my Christmas tree up, drinking two bottles of mulled wine while watching all of the really bad Netflix original Christmas movies that have come out this year. Fantastic. Which this year includes one that stars Dolly Parson and has an entire soundtrack of brand new Dolly Parson songs. (laughs) Can we watch that together? Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Provided you don't try and help me decorate my tree in any way, you can absolutely come around and watch that. You know I would not dare. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i appreciate it cool so we have something uh vaguely relevant to talk about don't we this is like just a small rant to be honest i've oh, noticed this on twitter a um, baby rant a rant yeah I, I don't think this is a new thing i think this ha- goes on a lot and has been going on a lot i think i noticed it because neil gaiman was actually responding to the tweets for the change which meant it came up in my timeline Sure. And also it was fired by the news that Staged is getting a series two, which is the like Zoom lockdown comedy that David Tennant and Michael Sheen made. Oh, is that what kicked off the drama around that? 
Yeah, yeah because he got I keep, referred like, to wandering as... into the drama room for two seconds, going <laughs> and walking out again. <laughs> yeah, he got referred to as Martin Sheen in uh, something, and then someone said it. You know, staged was terrible, lefty nonsense, and they didn't want to pay their license fee for it. So my, so Michael Sheen started a petition to get it banned. Yes, that was it. Yeah. But no, loads of people are bugging Neil Gaiman for a Good Omen series too. Hmm. And it's just like, I mean, there's no need. Like, it is a perfect self-contained book, and then it was adapted very well. If they had then written the sequel that they talked about, then I could understand. Do you recall, I know we've talked about this before, but do you recall what the sequel was going to? It was something like uh, 668, The Number of the Beast. I, don't, I can't remember. The, what it, more, more of the prophecies, wasn't it? Or... Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember exactly. But it yeah. was never written. It no, never no, happened. No. And it's just a weird, like, fan entitlement thing. Yeah. Like, demanding something from a creator. And it's just like, the dude owes you, you've got a really good show. And then I you expect... You don't need more of a good thing yeah. all of the time. Absolutely. I expect to throw a bit of a fit if it turned out, as it almost certainly would, not to be the same kind of thing, because one of the co-creators is dead now. Yeah. So it would be entirely... And while Gaiman can write very well and can probably emulate emulate the style of Pratchett to some extent, the, the fact is that he is not replaceable because his ideas came from him. Mm. It's just, it's a weird, it's entitlement, it's rude, it's like, just stop. You've got a really nice thing. Enjoy the nice thing you have. Stop demanding more of it. It's like a toddler throwing a tantrum because you won't let them have a second piece of cake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've got Except in this Mark case, Burrow's book out at the moment, so Terry Pratchett's like staring at me as well. I was like, talking about you, not to you, mate. Weird having uh, a big always, face on something. <laughs> I always keep the book face down when I have it next to me. <laughs> because otherwise I like worry, what would what would Terry be thinking of this? <laughs> Sorry, Mark, I like love a, your book. I like an adulterous spouse putting the, the photo down <laughs> on the dress. <laughs> <laughs> yes, except I'm cheating on Terry Pratchett with more Terry Pratchett. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, that's Mercy. just my little rant. <laughs> it's one thing to just tweet a lot about the fact that you would love a Roman series too, but stop tagging the guy who made it in it. Yeah, yeah. This is especially. Follow- Did we record our mutual rant on? Uh- People bugging Patrick Rothfuss. That was on the podcast, wasn't it? Not just over a coffee. I think that one ended up on the podcast because we yeah. were talking about fan entitlement when we were talking about moving pictures. That's right. Yes. Yes, of course. That makes sense. But yeah. So yeah. So yes. That was follow up. Yeah. That is a bit of a follow up. It does bug me. Remember, you are tweeting an actual human being. Also, selfishly, I don't want him to make a good Omen series too because he's still working on that Neverwhere sequel and I really want to read it. Is he now? Yes, called the Seven Sisters. There's uh, so he was on David Tennant's podcast. David Tennant does a podcast with. You keep telling me to listen to that, and I really must. There's several episodes now that have people. The Judy Dench one is fantastic. The Ian McKellen one is gorgeous. I'll bet those two good voices. I say the Brian Cox one is. This is Brian (laughs) Cox, the older Scottish actor, not Brian Cox, the physicist. That one's great because it's just two (laughs) lovely Scottish accents bouncing off each other. Uh, but the Neil Gaiman one was a great episode. Uh, I really enjoyed it because I li- listening to Neil Gaiman talk is lovely. He's got a great speaking voice. He's got amazing cadence, hasn't he? 
He does. But the uh, bit where he talks about the sequel to Neverwhere was actually in, there was like a bonus episode with extra clips from all the different people who've been interviewed. Okay. Uh, and it's in that episode. Okay. Um, but I also really hope if he does a sequel to Neverwhere, they don't try and do like a sequel TV series because the original Never- Neverwhere TV series is golden. Yes, I enjoyed that. We should rewatch that at some point. We should. Oh, baby Peter Capaldi. <laughs> Maybe for, we should just do a Neverwhere bonus month at some point. I feel like if we start straying into game and territory, we might not find our way out. Oh, God. We'll, we'll wait it for when we finish that... Discworld. Okay, fine. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll end up stuck on that carousel in the House of the Rock. Exactly. That's the last thing you want. All right. I'm going right, to. <laughs> all right you you go you go should we make a podcast let's make a podcast i'm gonna get a coffee hello and welcome to the two shall make key fret a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from terry pratchett's discworld series one at a time in chronological order i'm joanna hagan and i'm francine carroll and this is part one of our discussion of reaper man yes the 11th discworld novel so part one is covering page one to 89 in the Corgi paperback edition. Yeah, if you've got the slightly yeah. later Corgi paperback edition, uh, it's page one to 110. Yeah, that's in the trade paperback size one. Note on spoilers before we crack on. This is a spoiler light podcast. Obviously heavy spoilers for the book we're on, Reaper Man. Uh, but we will try to avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series, and we're saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there, so you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. The journey on a not-spectral white horse, on account of the spectral ones kept setting fire to their bedding. Which is just rude. Oh, at least it had the good grace to look embarrassed about it. Well, yes, that's good. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we've got anything to follow up on from last week, do we? Uh, no, nothing. We didn't already rant about. No, I think I've ranted about all the things. I, I have not ranted about all the things I have to rant about. I have many <laughs> more rants in me. Uh, no major dispatches from the round world, but remember you can get in contact with us. Do send us a postcard via Albatross. Do, and tell your friends about us too. We need more people listening to us. Because we would like how else will the world know exactly what we think about everything? It's very important. And also about the adorable little puppy bum. Oh, yes. Oh, she's very sweet. She's curled up next to me now, like a good Excellent. Girl. So, Francine, tell us about Reaper Man. So, yeah, as you quite rightly say, Joanna, it is the 11th Discworld novel, and we're now into 1991, so the year after the insane, prolific year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is May 1991, which means it's a couple of months before I was born. So and we, a we year nearly before share a birthday. I was born. Yes, well, shut up, darling. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's notable for a few reasons. It's got quite an interesting use of typefaces, was one. Um, yeah, it's two different typefaces for the two different story arcs. Yeah, in early books it was. Colin Smythe's website said, um, yeah, to make clear the two strands of the book to readers, since there were no chapters, different typefaces were initially used for each plot line. It was later felt to be unnecessary, and my edition doesn't have that. So yours my, must be a pretty early Corgi paperback. Corgi paperback. You can tell some countries still have it. Yeah, it's an early edition because it's priced at three ninety nine. Oh yeah, that'll do it. What have I got? 
7.99 this must be pretty new um uh, yeah yeah this is the 1992 paperback i don't have a first edition of this one when we're, we're nearly into the section of Discworld where i've got first edition copies <laughs> good because i think my earliest one is small gods yeah it's um it's one of my favorite books full stop actually and in my list of top three Discworld books pretty solidly which is kind of odd because I don't think any of the other death arc books make it into the top 10. Mm. Um, yeah, I know, I know that Pratchett said he'd wished he'd used different, the two pro- plot lines in different books, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but I do kind of love that they're together because it takes two of like, my favourite sub-flavours of his writing, like the arguing wizards and the beautiful, descriptive, poignant prose. And like it kind of alternates them really in a really balanced way, I think. So sometimes when you get books that go between plot lines, it's quite annoying. Like you don't feel ready to switch or one of them's boring. But this one, yeah. it always feels like this is the correct time to go and revisit and you're always pleased to flick them onto the other. I will say, I remember this as being very much like a death book. Uh-huh. And because you've only read the first third so far, I've, I've read the whole thing uh-huh. in preparation. <laughs> but I have read this for very many times yeah, in yeah. the past year. <laughs> you know it very well. There's less of the death than I remember because I actually uh-huh. haven't read this one that many times. I think I've only read it two or three times before. I know it's one of your favourites and I do love it. Um, it's just because it was one of the very last ones I ever read when I first read the Discworld because I didn't read them in order. Yeah. It was never one I had this huge nostalgia to go back to. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm not, I, I honestly can tell you when I read this one, it's. I'm I'm not sure if it's nostalgia just so much as just just the imagery and it catches me very much. It's beautiful. Yeah. But like I said, there's less of the death and Miss Flitwith stuff than I remember. Yeah, but I think because those are the most memorable bits, they're probably yeah. loom larger in your head. I also forgot this follows on directly from moving pictures. So we've gone from a, a wizard subplot with Windle Poons in moving pictures and yeah. with Dibbler being a main character to a wizard subplot, which is arguably the main plot with Windle Poons and Dibblers around again. And I think this is sort of one of the first times you get that like really direct carry on in a way that's not a straight sequel like uh, Colour of Magic Life Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the he really enjoyed building on Rid Cully, for instance, in this one. Yeah, I think it's almost like, oh, I've got these new toys. I don't want to stop playing with them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Dibbler had like, more of a role than just a side character, but still a... He's still a very minor character. Role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not anywhere not near... Not quite a cameo, seen. but yeah. It's nice for him to show that he's still around. Yeah, it's nice that he's working. <laughs> Happy in for him. Working in a bun. But yeah, um, um, you found a little bit about it in Mark Burry's book, didn't you? Yeah, I've now taken consulting Mark's book when we start every new one because he's always got something nice to say. Uh, He refers to this as uh, one of Pratchett's most poignant pieces of writing. Uh, In the book, Death discovers he's now due to die and resolves to spend the rest of his life working among humans. Uh, And a secondary plot involving a zombie wizard has a lot of fun with horror cliches and makes an especially savage point about consumerism. Um. And Pratchett would later admit he wishes he'd used the two plots for separate novels. Yeah, that's where and I that is, that. Yeah, it is quite an interesting, but he also refers to it as uh, mid-period Discworld. Yes, and I think that's accurate. That's, yes, the first 10 books are very 
this is early Discworld and it's mm-hmm. set up and the dungeon dimensions are the villain more yeah. often than not. Yeah. Uh, whereas we're now into, okay, the ball is rolling and we're into, because almost peak Discworld. I'm not, it's like the later books are still really good. But they're not but what you like, think of straight away when you think Discworld. Yeah, when yeah. you think Discworld. And we're getting into also enough character arcs to set up that he will start going back to character arcs more than more. So like yeah. we're going to follow this with another witch's book and then. Yeah. And I'd say Ankh-Morpork is now established. Um, like he'll yes. still tweak it and obviously it evolves as the, as the books go on. But I think Ankh-Morpork the way the as city a city works. is now. Yeah. As it is. Yeah. With the patrician, especially. Yeah. <laughs> like a predatory flamingo. Oh, that was such a good line. I yeah, enjoyed that. <laughs> Also, I'm like slightly scared of flamingos. Are you? I mean, they're like if you, they look really cute from a distance, and then you get really close, and they've got like evil faces. I Birds think they just general. look like a stern schoolmaster, but pink. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> I get, I get it. You're right. Birds are a bit freaky in general, but um... all birds are slightly like they've not forgotten that they were dinosaurs. No, they have not. We won't start on my general fear of chickens. oh dear so do you want to summarize are we there yes i shall tell you what happened in this section uh we begin with a brief discussion of morris dancing danced accurately only on the disc on rolling planes of a sort mysterious gray robed figures discuss irregularities in the multiverse with asriel and a decision is made death in his study finds his own timer we see short-lived mayflies and long-lived counting pines before discovering Wendell Poons is about to die, but he's in for one last surprise. Death informs Albert that his end is nigh and buggers off to get a bit of living done first. Poons enjoys an old-fashioned goodbye party as the bursar gets a bit nervous about the Grim Reaper's imminent arrival. Unfortunately, said Reaper has other plans and Wendell finds himself not entirely dead. He returns back to his body and to the dining room, much to the consternation of the rest of the faculty. Shelves start mysteriously filling as Poons goes for a walk and Red Shoe does a bit of anti-vital graffiti. Uh, the wizards discuss what to do with Windle as Poons goes for a dip in the river rank under a bridge thoroughly protected by Sergeant Colon. Poons dis- continues his suicidal exploration of Ankh-Moor Park until a ragtag bunch of senior wizards force a confrontation. The wizards attempt to give Windle a proper burial and his coffin informs him of the Fresh Start Club. Poons considers hunting death down properly. Death, now operating, operating under the alias of Bill Dorr, gets himself a job at the Flitwick Farm. Dibbler starts selling snow globes, not in a bun. As excess life force starts sloshing around and playing silly buggers, a candelabra unscrews itself and nearly destroys the senior wizarding faculty. The wizards and the priests and a few other guilds are invited to the palace to discuss the latest in paranormal phenomena. And Mrs. Cake chats to her spirit guide before having a funny turn and sets off to find a few wizards and get the world set to rights. So quite a lot does happen. Yeah, it's very, very, we'll set this up, we'll set this up, we'll set this up. Yeah, establishing shots. Is that what they're called? I'm trying to do media references now to to impress you. but I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say you're right because no one's on here to argue with me and no, I can no. just ignore tweets that argue with me. I very rarely do ignore tweets, but you know. Yeah. You theoretically. If you wanted to. Yeah. I could. <laughs> uh, so on helicopter and lung cloth watch, uh, none of either, as far as I can see, sadly. Not on the even other... implied. No, not, I have, not yet. Give me time. 
You got random stuff hovering. Yeah, there you go. Oh, candelabra unscrewing itself. That's basically a helicopter. Yeah, more or less. I think the, set, the concept is sound. At some point, I'm going to listen back through all of our old episodes and make a list of things I have decided are basically helicopters. That sounds stressful, but enjoy that. <laughs> yep. Um, on the other little bits that we've been keeping track of, uh, we don't open on the turtle. We do not. Which is a rarity. We open on the Morris dancing, or the concept of. Uh, we do go to Ankh-Morpork, so we still haven't had a book that hasn't at least partially taken place in Ankh-Morpork. Yes. Uh, death is here, so we still haven't had a book without Death. Obviously, he's here. The book is called Reaper Man, and he's on the front cover. That would have been a terrible disappointment. We also, the librarian... Sorry, that was that was a bit too enthusiastic. <laughs> I must remember to lean away from the mic when I get excited. Uh, in On page 19 in my copy... The librarian looked up the details for us, said the bursar, indicating a large orangutan who was trying to blow into a party squeaker. He is not explained. Aha. Ho ho. Our diligence has paid off. Your diligence, I noticed. I need something to fill the hours. Absolutely. Battle. And no origami. I like how that's the next thing you jump to, not like laundry. God, no. That's basically origami. Yeah, folding. Because I definitely fold my clothes and don't just shove them in drawers. So what was your uh, your favourite quote? Uh, this was just really relatable. Everything was wrong these days. More thin, more fuzzy, no real life in anything. And their days were shorter. Something had gone wrong with the days. They were shorter days. Every day took an age to go by, which was odd because days plural went past like a stampede. Yeah, and just mood, big pandemic mood there. Absolutely, it's um, it's what they always tell you about getting old, isn't it? I think everyone's had a bit of a taste this year. Mm. I don't, like, I don't it. like it. I don't, I don't care for it. I shan't be. <laughs> I shan't be getting old. That sounds a little defeatist. But what I mean is, I will be enhanced by cybernetics and live forever. Yeah. Yes, that is definitely happening in our luxury dystopia that we're designing. Yes. Silk bandages, darling. Yes. Why is my laptop not overheating? I want it to warm my legs up. <laughs> First world problems. Absolutely. Uh, so, mine's a little later. Mm-hmm. Mine's on my page 77. I don't know where on yours, but it's the introduction of the village where Miss... Is she called Flitwick? Fuck me, I've forgotten her name. Not Flitwick. Help me out. It is Flitwick. Oh, it is Flitwick. Okay, good. Oh, Flitworth. Flitworth, sorry. I've written Flitwick by mistake. And we're going to end up making that mistake a lot, aren't we? Uh, hopefully not now. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, picture a landscape, a plane with rolling curves. It's late summer in the octarine grass country below the towering peaks of the high ram tops and the predominant colours are umber and gold. Heat sears the landscape. Grasshoppers sizzle as in a frying pan. Even the air is too hot to move. It's the hottest summer in living memory, and in these parts, that's a long, long time. I love that bit. Just does a really, really good job of conjuring up a landscape that, in, in one paragraph, mm. and it it really always catches me. And I'm not sure where it is exactly. One would assume it's, he's thinking of England. Yeah, a long time ago. Um, 
it, it reminds me of like Cider with Rosie. I don't know if you've read that. That kind of, yes. yeah, that, that kind of very, very rural England that just doesn't rural. exist anymore because transport's so easy. Yeah. that's And that sort of feeling of when you're in summer in that place, it is an endless summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of visited in good omens. Yes. In a, in a slightly different way because it's more. But there's a difference omens, between yeah. that sort of golden umber endless summer feeling to that everything is very green endless summer feeling I think good omens yes, is a very green true. summer that's true yeah I think like it's, the summer summer 2018 here in England was everything was scorched wasn't it yes it was dry and yeah that's cool um yeah so I just I picked a bit of pretty prose to do rather than a, lovely a funny bit today it made me want to go and be outside somewhere enough in fields in the summer Yes, unfortunately. Then we looked out the window and it is still drizzling. So we have a lot of characters, so we'd probably better start. Yeah, this is a, well, because it's the first part of the book, this is where we meet most of the new people. So we start off with the auditors, mm-hmm. who I love because they are the best, most sinister villain. They I think, are the ever. Yeah, because they are, what they want is nothing call back a very long way i think we hinted at them when we were talking about um i believe fuck. they very briefly cropped up um oh god oh we've only done 10 books Joe. <laughs> we have but it's been a year it has yeah. Oh, yeah so this is our birthday episode oh is it oh happy birthday joanna it's not quite exactly, but we started in November last year and it's going out. This is the first episode in November this year. So it's not going out on the actual birthday, but it's close as damn it. Nice. Well, yes. haven't we done well? Kept up something for an entire year. I ought to have made a cake. Well, I couldn't have any, so that would have been kind of sad for me. Mm, quite sad for me sitting here with a tiny cake and a little <laughs> candle in it. Oh, well, happy birthday podcast. Happy birthday. Um, Yes, the auditors have briefly cropped up before. I think this is the first time we get them speaking, though, and I think that's one yeah. of the cleverest little things is the speaking without uh, quotation marks. Yeah, do you think the the thing where they disappear if they refer to themselves, do you see that as like a natural thing that happens because personality means chaos, or are the rest of the auditors murdering them for that reason? I think the former. I yeah. think it's a, an automatic thing. Yeah, yeah. I think once, you're right. once it starts developing a personality, it stops being what they are supposed to be, and therefore stops existing. Yeah. Okay. I'll take that. Yes, mild spoiler, but these creatures will pop up again in future books, and they are always just a marvelously chilling villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and the villains of one of my sort of favorite least read ones, if that makes sense. Obviously, when we meet the auditors, we've also got Azrael. Yes, I thought is, the name sounded familiar and you, you bothered looking it up. Yeah, he's the angel of death in Islam and Judaism, uh, potentially an archangel, depending on like which translations and which texts you read. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the bits of mythology about him is that he is covered in billions of eyes for every human life that will ever existed. And the idea is when all human That's life so stops. Eyes. Yes, an, an eye closes every time someone dies. So the idea is when every human is gone, he's blind. Gosh. <laughs> uh, there's lots of interesting mythology about him, but I like the way he's he's not... There's no explanation of him here. He's just this... Clearly huge deity. Not even a deity, because deities are petty and small on the world, a, a yeah. force 
Yeah. He's this huge force. He's not, well, he's not even just a Discworld thing. They're sort of outside of all the universes because yeah. the. Uh, he's almost time, is he? I can't. Because what he's he's next to the opposite of a clock, which is a countdown timer, obviously. I guess. Yeah, he's sort of almost he's outside of time. Yeah, it's it's like with the whole thing, he'll be blind when the last life is gone in the mythology. Yeah. He is there outside of time, waiting for it to click down. Mm-hmm. It's described as he's in his prison of a billion, a prison of a billion years, which I thought was a lovely line. Mm. Uh, and then on to our little, we have the Mayfly interlude and the Counting Pines influ- interlude. I thought that was lovely. I love the Mayfly interlude. I remember when all this was fields. It's still fields. I remember when it was better fields. <laughs> and there was a cow. It's it's clever because although it's just a, a fun couple of pretty almost throwaway comedy scenes, it does make you think. Makes yeah. you think of the, the human life in comparison to longer things and how silly all our little concerns are and all that kind of Yes, it was a lovely bit of perspective. Back in my day, there was more cow here. What's a cow? Well. Also, I quite like with the counting pants, of the sort of, wow, that was a sharp one. What was that winter just then? Yeah. Call that a winter. Was it they trembled uneasily in a week-long gale? Uh, But we think it involves sawdust. It's a lovely thought, especially the thought of winter passing by that quickly because... uh, Yeah. Feels like being stung by a bee. Absolutely. Uh, so, Windle Poons. Good old Windle. We have, we we enjoyed Windle last book. He's a lovely chap. He was just being wheeled about in his steampunk wheelchair. Yeah, his wheelchair doesn't really feature much in this section. It would He's kind of in get it. in the way. It would. I feel for him though. I I, I wonder if the wheelchair died. Does it have a soul? Is it now haunting the corridors of the yeah. university? We did put it in characters, didn't we? Exactly. But yeah, Wendell is suddenly incredibly old. knowledgeable and strong, and uh, yes, still one hundred and thirty. And is it is an interesting take on zombies, isn't he? Really, because he's the, the concept being that as soon as you can function every, as soon as you can access every function of your body you can kind of force it to do things against the, the longer term benefit. Yeah. I had a note of this later, but yeah, the whole idea of self-control yeah, and having to literally look at this and work out like, hang on, what does the, what does the spleen do? Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I really enjoy that section because uh, he sort of has to teach himself how to have a body again. And the first thing he says when he makes it into the dining hall is, I think I may be able to metabolize alcohol. Yes. <laughs> Which is very but wizardly. He's just kind of vaguely irritated by the whole thing and would quite like to die and get on with getting to the next life. And I like that he's so sort of nonplussed by it all. He's sort of a, uh, well, I appear to not be going anywhere, so I might as well get back in the body. Yes. And well, once you've a... lived for 130 years, nothing surprises you, I suppose. Yes, I'm terribly sorry these holy symbols aren't doing anything to me. Yes, no, I'm happy for you to bury me. Sorry, it's nice of you to go to all this trouble. <laughs> I like the, the exchange with the celery. It's like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's it, you know, it's a, the feel of the thing. If you if you think bashing a steak into me, and I'll I'll hold the celery, and Ridley's like, oh yes, that's the spirit, old chap. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> They're all very good to each other. Well. Uh, before we get on to the rest of the wizards, uh, we only see Albert once, really, in the book. 
Yes, uh, just a little reminder that he's there, really, isn't it? One of the things at stake if death does die. Yeah, I wish we got a bit more Albert because he's obviously having to face his own mortality alongside death since... I can imagine there was more that got cut for brevity's sake because yeah. it it does almost feel like the start of an arc that didn't finish. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot that happens in a shortish book anyway, so... Yes, this is one of the shorter ones as well. This one's less than like 300 pages in my edition. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I feel for Albert. He's having a horrible time and he still thinks, oh, well, I better get the place set up for the next next chap just to, you know. Well, I think he's hoping he'll be rehired. Well, yes. <laughs> but yeah, poor old Albert. Well, death is obviously thinking of more important things. He's like, I finally got time to spend. Um, Albert's almost an afterthought then. Yeah, I do feel for Albert. I don't think death really gives him enough time to process everything. And I get it, you know. Yeah, never mind. Anyway, so on Wizards. On Wizards. Uh, the rest of the senior faculty, we meet a few of them, obviously. We've got the Bursa. Bursa. Uh, Poor Bursa, slowly losing his sanity already by the end of section one. Yes, there's a lovely little rapidly. there's a lovely little explanation of Bursa as a kindly if nervous soul who quite enjoyed his job because no other wizard wanted it. Uh, all the paperwork of the university tended to accumulate into his off- in his office, which meant he went to bed tired at night but slept soundly and didn't have to check very hard for unexpected scorpions in his nightshirt. <laughs> and yeah, I like that he's having quite a nice time. It does, but he seems like he's quite a naturally neurotic person, and his balance has been massively thrown off by the arrival of Ridcully. <laughs> the arrival of Ridcully, uh, the events of moving pictures, immediately followed by Windle Poons coming back to life. Yes, and he then stuff eat- unscrewing itself. <laughs> <laughs> I like, uh, the bursar didn't eat much but lived on his nerves and it was his unfortunate uh, fate to be sitting opposite the doors when Windle Poons smashed them in. <laughs> he bit through his wooden spoon. <laughs> Just we are keeping an eye on Bursa's <laughs> mental state and it's looking a bit shaky. <laughs> when they're running to bury Windle Poons, and he goes, Oh, we'll soon have you back to normal. And the senior wrangler or something's like, No, we won't. That's the whole point. Bursa's like, We won't soon have you back to normal. That's the whole point. Keep running. <laughs> he means well. He's he very does. sweet. I love the Bursa. And then Mustard and Ridcully. Yes, now he's a properly fleshed out terrifying lovable character in his not getting the point which turns out to be the useful part of being a leader if somebody explains it to you for longer than five minutes it was probably important yeah if they give up after two minutes it's fine there's more mushroom ridcully than one body could reasonably contain (laughs) i don't know if our listeners got this impression from moving pictures but this is absolutely one of our very favorite characters he is just a perfect anti-wizard, which is the 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 key to the well, not not to all of it, but to a lot of the dialogue between wizards. The fact that the rest of them are fairly similar in their set ways, bickering, eat eating unhealthily, living unhealthily ways, and then you've got the foil in there. I like also that he's the sort of he is the thing that shifts the wizards as like a character art b-plot thing that keep coming back Mm. from what they were in the early books which is lots of scheming and villainy and yeah no one's gonna take out ridcully yeah 
he's sort of got rid of all that fighting for who's going to be the arch chancellor bollocks. Yeah, he's ushered in a new age of dinners, dinners and bickering rather than straight up murdering. He's also ditched the uh, sinister haunted arch chancellor's hat that was the cause of so much commotion in sorcery. Oh yeah. In favour of uh, an adapted one for his outgoing lifestyle. It had fishing flies, a small pistol crossbow, uh, and the pointy bit holds a small bottle of brandy. He did not like it when it floated away. No. It's an excellent design. I want a hat that can contain lots of extra little things just in case. I expect we could fashion you one. Quite possibly. saying it'll be stylish. I can make it stylish. A tactical beret with lots of pockets. <laughs> Right, tactical beret. I'll add that to my Tassau list. <laughs> I also enjoy that uh, Red Cully has made someone make him a sort of jogging suit. Yeah, he's walking around in a wizardly tracksuit. That's very sweet. Uh, and also, I want to highlight that this book states he wanted the university to form its own football team for the big city game on Hogswatch Day. Yes, which we will see a long time from now. That might eventually come to fruition. Uh, so we've also got the senior wrangler. We yeah, were... I forgot that his title was kind of explained. Yeah, uh, we were talking about some of the fun titles when we were talking about moving pictures. We've got like things like the lecturer in recent runes. Yeah. Uh, in some senses of learning, the senior wrangler is a leading philosopher. In others, he's merely someone who looks after horses. Uh, the senior wrangler at the Unseen University was a philosopher who looked like a horse. <laughs> Uh, but a senior wrangler is actually a thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, so a wrangler is a name to people who get firsts in maths at Cambridge. Oh. And the senior wrangler is the person who I think has come top or something at Cambridge University, which shows once again that old British institutions have stupid names for everything. Oh, they do. They're very, very, very silly. But so, they have yeah. lovely libraries, so we'll forgive them. And, and then also at the was. Also at the wizard, also at the university, not a wizard, we have Modo, who's yes. one of my small favourites in this book, just because he's so fucking zen about everything. Yeah. Sort of, heard you was dead, Mr. Poons. I was. Well, I see you got over it then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, relights his pipe as he sees someone smash through the walls, like, hmm, you see some interesting things in this job. Yeah. He is that fun, crystal-doed old gardener who's just accepted lots of things are going to happen. Yeah, doesn't freak out when his 500-year-old lawn is ripped up. He's like, well, that's right, replant it, 500 years will fly by, it'll be good as new. Yeah, <laughs> the only thing he really cares about is his compost piles. Yeah, I almost did a deep dive on composting and then decided not to because it will take up far too much time because I actually want to be interested in that for gardening reasons. <laughs> yes, I'm thinking about doing some at-home composting. I think on the whole, I do not want mine to be quite as interesting as Modo's. No, I don't think we should have that. I'm sure it probably breaks some kind of weird EU law about what people are allowed to have in their gardens. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to the compost heaps later, I think. I think we might. We also very briefly see Red Shoe, who is dead, graffitiing. Yes. What What, uh, what was the graffiti, his first graffiti? Dead, yes, gone, no. God, ever the red... The- Slogan writer of Ankmore Pork is our red shoe. Is this our first? I think this is our first red shoe. Oh, well. We've got Sergeant Colon's specific brand of policing. Yep, he's guarding the massive bridge from theft. 
the brass bridge i was trying to remember the name of it yesterday when i was talking about detritus retraining as a support oh yes but so yeah the brass bridge has not yet been stolen and i think we can only conclude that's because fred colon has stood on it so diligently yeah he's made sure it's not being stolen yeah they're good on fred absolutely working hard that's what we like to see uh cut me own throat dibbler is running around come into a bit of luck snow globe yeah come into a bit of snow globe (laughs) who were i like how he went and checked that it was probably legal first like, yeah, I don't want to get are. into real trouble. Uh. <laughs> I think that's what I like about Dibbler is the fact that he's a raging capitalist, but he's not evil. No, he's, he's, got, sort of, he's got a line. He's amoral, not immoral, I think. Yes. He, he sticks to the law and he's quite nice and wow. respectful. Yeah. <laughs> Ish. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yes, Miss Flitworth. Miss Flitworth is the old lady who takes in our lovely death as a farmhand. Yeah, so I haven't mentioned death yet. I've put him in here as Bill Dorr, the alias he takes on. Yeah, we only see him briefly as death to start with. Yes. He has his realisation, goes off to live his life, and then, yes, he finds Miss Flitworth and her lovely farmhouse. And And She's very interesting from the start, and I think he does a good job with the suspense building there because he's talking about the the building yeah it's a beautiful one it's a room for harnesses and dogs a room where oil skins are hung up to dry there's a beer barrel by the door flagstones on the floor and along the ceiling beams hooks for bacon there's a scrub table that 30 hungry men could sit down at there are no men there are no dogs there is no beer there is no bacon why is she living alone up here and why has she Mm. got this house made for many men and lots of activity and um and Bill Dorr is welcomed so quickly, even though it doesn't seem like she needs him quite yet. Yeah, and she's sort of quite patient with him and his lack of a name. Like, she's Mr. clever. Mr. Sky? Nobody's called Mr. Sky. <laughs> and it's like she knows he's making his name up and she yeah, can tell yeah. he's never she's done helping this him. before. <laughs> Bill Dorr's a great name, though. It is. The word door is quite good. I mean, it makes up the, the ostensible loveliest sentence which is cellar door isn't it but yes the loveliest phrase but bill door is nearly as good i'd say i enjoy bill door and yeah she's just quite happy to have him come and work she's not going to ask a lot of questions she'll keep him fed of an evening yeah we'll find out more about her in the next section but it's a good yes. introduction it is a very good introduction uh vetinari is here love a bit of vetinari yeah he's a little alarmed to start with he's slightly alarmed I, but I like that this is the first explanation, I think, of the relationship between the university and veterinary. <laughs> Absolute ruler and nearly benevolent dictator of Hank Morpork. <laughs> it's, it's kind of battle of wills. Yes. So sort of a, you need to pay taxes. No, we don't. Well, if you ought to. So, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. And... Uh, it's agreed that while the wizards pay no taxes, they'll make an entirely voluntary donation of uh, taxes. The pr- patrician said they wouldn't want to know about hard terms. The wizard said that there's a ruler back in the century of the dragonfly who tried to tell the university what to do. The patrician could come and have a look at him if he liked. The patrician said that he would. He truly would. <laughs> and that's it. I also quite like that this is another completely different style to the auditor's conversation without quotation marks mm. and it's yeah yeah because it's a summary of a conversation 
it's sort of it's a summary of a conversation but it's also uh because they're saying all these things on the surface and so much is going on underneath yeah yeah it's sort of like this is so not what they actually meant to say that it's not even worth saying that they said it yeah absolutely and it makes the whole conversation very deadpan and very funny um and then hanging around while we're seeing Vatnari as the chief priest yes Red Cully's brother yes Uh, what is it arch priest high priest high priest I think uh yeah I think he's the high priest sorry power of looking inward and summarizing the soap opera that is the gods lives yes I greatly enjoyed that little moment and sort of what have they been up to uh, who put the goat in the bed of Offla, the crocodile dog? Is Offla forging an alliance with seven-handed sack? Meanwhile, Hokey the jokester is up to his old tricks. Yes, yes, I've never been able to get interested in that kind of thing, I'm afraid. Anyway. <laughs> but I also, I do like that they're two warring factions whose leaders are sort of formed an alliance on the basis that they're the only ones in their positions. Yeah, absolutely. And they've got this very dull, not dull, but every day matter to attend to as well. Just like, remember, you must write to mother. And we've got to see her for Hogswatch evening. And <laughs> yes, I know. On, once we've done with all this existential woe, we've got to, <laughs> got to pop in on mother. He's not actually named in this. He is just the chief priest. And we learn that he's Red Cully's brother. Mm-hmm. And they have a little drink. Uh, and then, obviously, one of the heroes of the book... And just of my life, Mrs. Cake. Good old Mrs. Cake. And she's got a first name. Don't ask about Mrs. Cake. Evadne. Evadne. I don't know if that's a real name or not, so I didn't look it up. I also didn't. So Mrs. Cake is a medium, verging on large. Mm -hmm. Verging on small. Oh. I thought verging on large was funnier, clearly. Or I just renamed her and renamed the quote in my head. I like Mrs. Cake. She is very entertaining. And I like the fact that all of the priests are terrified of her. Yeah, just because she goes in and kind of argues theology. While also taking over things like the cleaning rotor. Yeah. (laughs) Sacrificial stone scrubbing, honorary vestigial virgining. It's clear that Terry Pratchett has had a vague idea of Mrs. Cake in his head for some time. I mean, she's she the psychic who ran away in the first book or... Certainly it was a proto-her, if not her. Yes, and her name has cropped up a couple of times, usually in a don't ask about Mrs. Cake. Yeah. Uh, I think even the chief priest has a throwaway line about how uh, you have horrible things from the dungeon dimensions, we have Mrs. Cake. Yeah. (laughs) So I like the fact that she's just this grumpy old psychic woman that has somehow just struck fear into the hearts of the entire religious sector of a city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, come on. And then her daughter, Ludmilla, as well. Yes, the kind of werewolf, not really Ludmilla. Little bit of werewolf around the ears. <laughs> but still She's a very sort of... sweet variety of werewolf, I think. She is lovely. Uh, and I hope she has a lovely time in the future. I also like that she's lovely, but very practical. Oh, you could say helicopter here, because I feel like Mrs. Cake helicopter parents are somewhat. Okay, I mean, that's a stretch, but I'll take it. Is it? Is it more of a stretch than your shit, Joanna? (laughs) (laughs) Point taken. (laughs) Don't throw tenuous stones in tenuous glass houses. (laughs) Um, Tenuous glass houses would make a great band name. Uh, One Man Bucket (laughs) is Mrs. Cake's spirit guide. 
Yes, who doesn't appear to be a racist trope, just has the name and tries to live up to it. The name will get explained eventually. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, I started looking about... Um, could it be a racist trope? And I think mm-hmm. there's hints of it the same way there was with uh, Madame Tracy's made-up spirit guys yeah, from yeah. Good Omens. But, but I it, don't... It's kind of making fun of the thing rather than doing the thing, I think. Yeah, I think this is yeah. not the... Uh, you're not parodying the thing if you're just doing the thing kind of thing. Yeah, I just it's not that thing. thing too. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's not that thing. Look, here's the thing. <laughs> the book explains that, like, he has put this name on... And he's he's putting on an act. Yeah, he talks like a normal city dude, doesn't he? Like a <laughs> yeah, and then hits someone over the head with a ghostly vase like a normal city dude. Yes, I like that. Love Miller's sort of he's going to start fighting again, Mum. He always calls people friend just before he hits them. <laughs> and then lastly, this isn't really a character, but I wanted to point this out because uh-huh. uh, it's uh, I like the concept and I think it'll come up again if I can find the page number. Trolls believe that all living things go through time backwards if the past is visible and the future is hidden then it means you must be facing the wrong way so Mm. everything alive is going through life back to front and it's a very interesting idea considering it was invented by a race who spend most of their time hitting one another on the head with rocks i also like the way their place in society is kind of built upon especially as it will keep changing yeah um when poons goes into the shades and sees trolls kind of walking tall mm. not hiding themselves as they do in the richer parts of Ankh-Mor Pork where they what is it move with exaggerated caution in case they accidentally club someone to death and eat them yes That's a- <laughs> they've sort of moved on from where we were in moving pictures where they're trying to integrate into society and they're doing mm. it more and more yeah and it's it's nice to see the kind of continued evolution of that it's not it's not something he just changed suddenly to make them monsters and then integrated no he integrates them slowly yeah. and it works yeah. there's also a throwaway line about uh red cully getting into a wrestling match with detritus yeah who is currently working as an odd job man at the mended br- drum from the sounds of it <laughs> good old detritus oh, uh, I love him. he was so sweet in the last book he is i love him i hope we see him again uh so yeah as far as locations go we've already talked about octarine grass country and miss mm-hmm. flitworth's farm obviously we also in Ang- more pork uh-huh uh and so the guild remember the guild of merchants basically f- formed the guild of tourism in yes. the color of magic yeah some time ago yes they uh have a famous publication welcome to Ang- more pork city of 1000 surprises uh-huh that claims that you, the visitor, will be assured of a warm welcome in the countless inns and hostelries of this ancient city, where many specialise in catering for the taste of guests from distant part. So if you are man, troll, dwarf, goblin or nom, Ankh-Morpork will raise your glass convivial and say, cheer, here looking at you, kid, up you bottom. It's like a badly translated instruction pamphlet. It's like, who wrote that? <laughs> it's kind of a mix of medieval and bad Google Translate, and I yeah. love it. But also, look at how far Ankh-Morpork has come. From Two Flower and his little guidebook, yeah. the uh, his little phrase book thing at the beginning of um, Color and Magic. Yeah, absolutely. We've we've moved up in the world. We have. It's a rich, bustling, cosmopolitan city now. <clears throat> yes, <laughs> definitely won't get murdered. 
<clears throat> with possibly a little bit of murder around the ears. Yeah, it's just a tiny, tiny bit. All right. So, yeah. Um, I think this is a good time to take a little break because the dog has found something and is trying to eat it. So yeah, a little bit we liked. Mm-hmm. I already talked about Poons and his efforts at self-control, uh, but zombies. Zombies. I could have easily delivered like a whole PowerPoint presentation on this, but I've restrained myself. Thank you very much. Uh, so the lecturer of recent runes points out that people can be turned into zombies. You don't need magic, just the liver of a certain rare fish and the extract of a particular kind of root. Yep. Uh, and the Arch-Chancellor makes a comment about not trusting religions with someone that smiles all the time. So this is a reference to Haitian, well, to voodoo. Yeah. Uh, it's a religion based in West Africa, practiced throughout Haiti and the Caribbean and other places with African heritage. Uh, the whole idea of the zombie legend is uh, very much based in Haitian culture and it's uh, some anthropologists theorise that some of that comes from slavery and the idea that when you die you're reborn into a real life because slavery is not a real life. Yeah. Which is the more depressing end of it. But I was looking at the uh, actual making of zombie powder. Mm-hmm. So there are... Uh, most people who follow the voodoo religion believe zombies are myths, but some believe zombies are people revised, revived by someone called a bokor, which is a particular type of voodoo practitioner. Okay. And they use herbs and shells and fish and animal parts to create concoctions, including zombie powders, which do contain a deadly neurotoxin found in pufferfish. Fun. And apparently used carefully at sublethal doses, it might actually cause zombie-like uh symptoms such as difficulty walking mental confusion and respiratory problems right uh but it can also lead to paralysis and coma so it could cause someone to appear dead and then be buried alive and later revived oh i see so there is actually quite a lot of accuracy in that little bit yes uh although i think everyone dismisses it out of hand yes (laughs) it's the senior Uh, wrangler Yes. Yeah, so, no, it's the lecturer in recent runes. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. Yes. Yes. The senior wrangler who has the ability to put treacle in the conversation. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> uh, the god that smiles all the time is a reference to Baron Samadhi. Yes. Which I just want to point out here because it might come up again soon. Never trust a god who smiles all the time and wears a top hat. That's my motto. That's a strange motto. But <laughs> I uh, like see- overly specific mottos. See, I don't mind the gods that smile all the time and wear hot top hats. It's the ones that live on mountains, throw lightning bolts and dress up as swans to shag women that I have issues with. <laughs> but this is not a podcast about why Zeus is a dickhead. But he is a dickhead. You're quite right. Yeah, fuck Zeus. The original fuck boy. <laughs> Auto-condimenting. Mm. This is uh, ref- Mustrum Ridcully is an auto-condimenter. And what is an auto-condimenter, Joanna? Uh, someone who will certainly put salt and probably pepper on whatever meal you put in front of them, regardless of how much it's got on it and how it tastes. Uh, behavioural psychologists working for fast food outlets around the universe have saved billions of whatever the local currency is by noting the auto-condimenting phenomenon and advising their employers to leave seasoning out in the first place. This is really true. <laughs> I didn't actually research that further from that footnote. I'm fully willing to take it as fact because... Yeah, for sure. Um depending on the outlet i can i can definitely imagine that happening it's you look at places like mcdonald's like the alt the the tiny little changes that save them millions yeah the main reason uh things like french fries are salted as soon as they come out of a deep fryer 
it's less to do with seasoning and more to do with it continues to drive moisture away so they stay crispy for longer and don't go soggy oh okay is that a yeah. good idea with oven fries as well then should i yeah. salt them after they come out not before yeah not before they go in rather yeah yeah salt them okay. after Okay, cool. Because with most things, you salt stuff before you cook it, don't you? But okay, fries yeah, yeah. after. Fries gotcha. after. Uh, Noted. I mean, that's why like you use salt to get like good crackling on roast pork or like good crispy roast potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, I obviously, as a chef, dislike people who season their food without trying it first because yeah. I season my food very well when I cook it. See, I sometimes season my food before I try it, but that's because I know I've cooked it and I've cooked it for other people's tastes. And then I'll sit down and add a buttload of pepper. Yeah. On my bowl. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, if I'm cooking for other people, like I will quite often do things like adding hot sauce and chili afterwards because yeah. the uh, right, season in which I am willing to consume <laughs> hot sauce are not the same as other people's. <laughs> and again, I appreciate that about you. <laughs> But so, but also, I am very much a Rid Cully in that he's got all the salt, three different kinds of pepper, four different kinds of mustard, four different <laughs> kinds of vinegar, fifteen different kinds of chutney, and the Wow Wow sauce. Uh, uh, we should get you a little things... carrying thing. I re- I will add like sauces and dips to almost every meal, and I have cupboards full of different kinds of salts and peppers and spices mm. and mustards and chutneys. A, a condiments an acceptable present for you. Oh yes, I love condiments. Okay, good. I'm always excited by condiments. Is there any particular ones you don't like? Not that I can think of. Like you don't? Do you like mustard? I love mustard. Okay, I always cool. have like five different kinds of mustard. Cool. I always buy mustard, but I never get through it in time. I know it lasts forever, but I feel like it shouldn't. Um. <laughs> I, well, I cook with mustard quite a lot. Ah, that makes sense. It goes yeah. in sauces and things, and then also I've discovered uh, the Polish shop that. Uh, I live near does this amazing like sweet grainy mustard that makes me very happy oh I see um, I get very excited by things like being given chutneys as well oh yeah fucking chutneys amazing uh, on the subject of condiments um I found something in the old uh alt.fan.pratchett groups hosted mm-hmm. by Terry Pratchett in 1993 um saying saying I've tried posting this before but it ended up in limbo uh, the wow wow sauce mentioned in Reaper Man, and in here we get a kind of recipe, don't we? Um, yeah. Is very loosely based on the sauce invented by William Kitchener, 18th century British eccentric and gourmet. Diane Duan swears she's seen the complete recipe in modern, brackets possibly American, cookbook, but can't trace it. Given the general interest in things edible, can anyone out there track it down? And there weren't any helpful replies on that. And I'm wondering... When I've got time, I might look and see if anyone did find it in the end. But if not, it might be worth like reposting his post a long time afterwards in like Reddit and Facebook because now people it'll reach a lot more people who have access to random American cookbooks and yeah, the old recipe subreddit might be a good place to look for that. Yeah, the, well, the, always... the recipe as given in the book. Like, is that something you could follow, or is it? Well, okay, so the recipe as given in Reaper Man. <laughs> no, because some of the things don't exist. Oh, like what? Well, Wahoonie. Oh, all right. Fine. Although I imagine I'd use grated horse horseradish in place of it. <laughs> uh, but I handily have Nanny Og's cookbook. Oh, I say. And I believe, where is, I should have probably marked the page, but I literally remembered as we sat down to record right. this Foley, session. Foley, Foley, Foley. Foley, Foley, Foley. Where is the contents? Oh, the dog's gone back oh. to sleep. Yay. Praise right. Jeebus. Does this have an index? This is a useless book. I say. 
bit strong. No, it's not. Uh, I'm just trying to find it. This has a recipe for wow wow sauce in it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it'll be fun to maybe make it. And I want to see if I can track down that original one. Partly yes. because Pratchett asked for it and didn't get it. And partly because I love random old shit like that. So. I, there's loads of recipes in this that I want to try. Uh, there's a librarian's recipe for bananas, which consists of uh, take one banana. Good, good. Or, as the librarian would say, ook. Uh-huh. Um, there's also a banana dip mentioned. That I'm not even going to consider trying to make on the basis that I am offended by the concept. Okay, well, I might try and make it then. Okay. By that, I mean, I might make some banana-flavoured Angel Delight or something. Uh, So the Wow Wow Sauce recipe in this, uh, it does explain it's not quite a genuine recipe, but it's slightly more stable. Involves butter, an egg, flour, beef stock, mustard, vinegar, port, mushroom concentrate, salt and pepper, parsley, and pickled walnuts. Oh, right. Well, if you can substitute the beef stock, I'll partake of that yeah i can make a vegetarian version of that nice that sounds interesting pickled walnuts eh oh i love pickled walnuts i don't think i've tried them i will eat almost anything if it's pickled the one uh, exemption from that is pickled eggs which are an abomination i have eaten one pickled egg i was forced to try one not too long ago and it was an unpleasant experience for me. I yeah. did not enjoy it. It just it just tastes like horribly textured vinegar. Well, this is the thing. I really like pickled things. I love the taste of vinegar, but I don't really like the texture of hard-boiled eggs. Is pickled was... egg something that exists out of this country, do you think? It must do. They're yeah? Good, International sturdy... listeners, tell us about your pickled eggs or lack thereof. Yes, there are good sturdy traditions of pickling around the world. Yeah, but eggs... Yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of fermented pickled egg type situation in a couple of East Asian cultures. Well, yeah, no, I'm talking about pickled eggs specifically, though, not the century eggs or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, let's not talk about the century eggs. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm going to try and make Wow Wow sauce. Uh, cool. Warn the Alchemist Guild. <laughs> they might be able to help without saltpeter and the other ingredients for gunpowder. Salt, saltpeter you can get for cooking, though. Saltpeter um, you put on cow's tongue and things. Yes. In Irish a, recipes. Yeah, so you make red beef. Yeah, um, my boss's Irish friend brought me some over at some point when I was mm. cooking ox tongue for Jack. Yes, but I'm still not going to add it to my sauce. Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Just in right. case you do make a small explosion. There it is. I've heard that referred to by some Irish people as gunpowder beef. Oh, cute. Because <laughs> that's the, the joke about Rid Cully's uncle eating it and he's fine. And then yeah. he, adds, he adds some charcoal. and uh, Yeah. Oh, that's what the charcoal's for. I see. Yes. I thought that was just one of those little details that made it funnier because it just had a little biscuit. No. Was it? Yeah. Uh, sulfur and saltpeter. Yes. Yeah, maybe. And not. charcoal. It's only because I've got gunpowder on the brain because we're coming up to the 5th of November. Oh, God. Oh yeah, sorry. Fireworks. You've got a dog. Fireworks are awful. Yeah, it's it's just it's going to be worse this year because we're not. I assume they're not having the big display up at the Abbey no. Gardens, so everyone's going to have them in their gardens, and yep. no one does it on like the same night. If it was just one night of horrendousness, I could probably like lock us in a quiet room and music but it will on be or something. over an entire weekend. Yeah, exactly. 
and then throw in that a presidential election is happening a couple of days before. Oh, yeah, that's soon. Fourth, Good, I guess. Yeah, um, or I think we should know by the fourth. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, reading the future. Yeah, uh, staying on the topic of food, kind of. Uh, Mrs. Cake reads the future in a bowl of porridge or whatever comes up. So it's one of these headology things again. You know, you pretend to read it in something cool for the yeah. customers, but you can but read really, it whatever, you could read really. it in a bowl of por- porridge. Just wondering what you'd read your futures in. I think probably mm. coffee for me. Yeah, I was about to say coffee actually. Just black coffee. Just like, yeah, your future's there. It's, it's just black. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's depressing. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, using my house plants for divination. Oh, so like if your aloe has a particularly perky leaf today or something, you can tell. Yeah. Which if it at the sets moment, itself on fire, then something's going to go wrong. Probably. At the moment, I think the future is mainly predicting that uh, trees die in autumn and that uh, mint might need a trim. Yeah, what's dying? Oh, the staghorn trees. Oh, sure, sure. Someone gave them to me and then was worried when they saw them that they were like, oh, they're dying. Maybe they couldn't cope with being repotted. And I was like, no, dude, it's fine. I looked it up. They die in, in winter and then come back in the spring. <laughs> the leaves blow off. They're trees. This is all. This could get very metaphorical if we let it, considering the book we're on. Mm. Yes, especially what with the Morris dancing and all. Uh, but before we get to Morris dancing, let's talk about Gimlers. All right. This uh, is a cocktail. I assume you mean. Yes. Well, so this is an ongoing joke in the Discord books that I think this is the first time we get the, this joke. I think so. Yeah. But I never quite got it. I knew a Gimlet was a cocktail, and that's it. Oh, and see, I knew the. Yeah, I didn't know it was a cocktail until I tried Googling it this time. <laughs> the joke is, his eyes are like gimlets. You mean the dwarf who runs the delicatessen on Cable Street? Yeah. And so this is, uh, the word gimlet for a piercing stare is a thing, and it comes from the fact that a gimlet is a type of tool yes. that bores through things. I yes. didn't know, I I didn't realise that. It's a little handheld, penetrating, sharp tool thingy. Yes. Uh, there is, the reason that, the funny thing about the dwarf being called Gimlet is in the Harvard Lampoon's Board of the Rings parody, there is a character, Gimlet, son of Groin. Is, when was Board of the Rings? Before this, I think Board of the Rings was like late 80s. Oh, okay. Cool. Possibly earlier. Hmm. So I'm assuming it is a reference to that. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Obviously, we think of it as more recent because it had a resurgence in popularity when the films came out. Yeah, that must be, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I think, yeah. Oh, so, so obviously that's playing on Gimli, son of Gloin. Yeah. Uh, but in oh, Googling... all the way down. <laughs> in Googling Gimlets, and because I wanted to see what was actually in the cocktail and also why it's also used to be a penetrating stare, uh-huh. uh, the theory is the, the using it as a term for a penetrating stare came before the cocktail. It may have been named for its penetrating effect on the drinker. I see. Uh and I saw someone else had Googled, is the Gimlet a girl's drink? <laughs> is that one uh, of your suggested searches? That was one of my suggested searches. And is uh, it? Well, I've got this amazing quote from popular food blog, Food 52. If drinks were college co-eds, from cardigan-wearing scotch and sodas to sorority row cognacs, then the Gimlet would be everyone's girl. It's classic, straightforward, and always agreeable. They're using gin as the way to go for purists. The Gimlet girl is totally fine with you using vodka. Oh, go fuck yourself. I hate everything about that paragraph. Yeah, I know. 
especially the suggestion I thought it was going to be taking the piss out of the question but no Ugh. no no that was Ugh. just just bad I, I wanted your Give reaction to that live on air agreeable and sort of fuck off on that note uh, I think it's agreeably. time <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be time so what for is quick... in a gimlet oh I didn't get that far I was okay. distracted by that horrific paragraph okay I mean, good right <laughs> gin or vodka gin apparently yeah I think it's like gin and lemon like I All think right. there's a lot of citrus going on there uh, but I think it might be time, Francine, for a quick note from our sponsors. All right. Now, if restaurants in Ankh-Morpork were some kind of strangely gendered metaphor, then I'm sure you know that Gimlet's Delicatessen is the woman that walks into a room in slow motion while wind blows from nowhere and generic rock music plays of food purveyors. With an amazing variety of cured rats and quaffable meads, Gimlet's has something for everyone, from pickled eyeballs for the carrion hunter in your life to reannual wines to excel that unexplained hangover, Gimlet's has it all. And for True Shall Make Ye Frat listeners, Gimlet's has an extra special offer. Just quote code Eyes Like Gimlet's for a whole 25% off any Gimlet's delicatessen gift hamper. Why not try the staring dairy selection pack for some of the finest cheeses the disc has to offer? Warning, accident or injury may occur. That code again is Eyes Like Gimlet's for 25% off. Gimlet's delicatessen Cable Street for food that won't bore into you. Nice. <laughs> Sorry, bum anyway. bum, nice. <laughs> <laughs> On to the- we don't actually have like a that lot a of particularly good one. <laughs> we don't actually have like a lot of really big stuff to talk about this. We go. No, I think it all gets a bit. It's going to get very heavy, so I want to enjoy the lighter parts of this book while we're here. Yeah, this is all, as we said, very establishing stuff. Um, I had like a million little bits I liked written down, and just. There's there's a lot of tiny concepts that don't really have much discussion in them that I loved, but um, but yeah, yes. like, as you say, there's not a huge amount here, but that's all right. So where are we starting with our talking points? I thought we'd start with some Morris dancing. Oh Jesus, fuck! All right, <laughs> I'll get the I bells. Le- <laughs> <laughs> I did not learn to Morris dance for the podcast, mostly because it's very difficult to do it in a blanket fort. Yes. <laughs> Um, I love. There's probably a specific uh, kink of like confined space for, Morris for dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if that is your kink, please don't tell us. <laughs> Not to yuck your yum. Don't kiss and tell. <laughs> don't stick and bucket dance and. Ew. Anyway, sorry, tell me about something that isn't what I'm talking about, for God's sake. <laughs> I love Morris dancing as a concept just for trying to explain it to people who have not grown up in a country where it's popular. Uh, not Was it last year? Year before last, I think I had some Canadian friends staying with me mm. and there was some kind of town fair thing on that meant that Morris dancing was happening in the town. Yeah, that happens occasionally where we live. That does happen occasionally where we live. We live in a horrible mix of Star Swallow and Royston Vasey. Uh, but we walked through the town and happened upon a troupe of Morris dancers. And then I had to try and explain. I had to try and explain it to my Canadian friends. Yeah, I guess I was, I was going to say, like, probably a lot of countries have stupid ancient folk dancers. Mm. Well, I guess I'm not allowed to call it stupid if it's not my country. But um, <laughs> I, w- I wonder how, yeah, in, in Canada and Australia and America, the new world. Well, in the new world, there is some popular Morris dancing often from expats because it completely fell out of favour and then kind of had a weird resurgence. I, so mm. I did a bit of research. The possible origin of the name comes from Moorish, which oh, yeah. is, you know, similar word because it was exotic and different. It was originally a courtly dance. Uh 
and it sort of made its way out into sorry <laughs> you're imagining very straight faced beautifully dressed morris dancers <laughs> <laughs> the first uh, spelling of spelling of it as morris was recorded in the late 17th century which is also where it sort of found itself not being a courtly dance but going out into rural settings oh. uh, there's lots of different types of morris dancing uh, so you've got the Cotswold Morris, uh, which is normally danced with handkerchiefs or sticks. Uh, the Northwest Morris, which apparently is more military in style. Oh. Uh, the Border Morris from the English-Welsh border, and that's the one that's occasionally danced with blackened faces, which apparently is more to do with uh, mining traditions and covering of identity than blackface. Yeah, I think a lot of the troops now have moved to like dark green and stuff, though. Yeah, they do paint their faces not black because even Obviously. if it's not intended as blackface, like, yeah, it's just like just why don't do it. it. <laughs> uh, the long sword dance, which is a uh, dance with rigid swords. That sounds fun. Yeah. That's, Confined uh, space long sword Morris dancing. That's my yeah, kink. That's the Yorkshire and South Durham one. Uh, the Northumberland and County Durham. violent up north, isn't it? Yeah. Militaristic long sword. <laughs> Northumberland and County Durham have rapper sword, which is danced with shorter flexible swords. Uh, and then Cambridgeshire, so our neck of the woods-ish, yeah. or close to, has molly dancing. Uh, and these were feast dances to collect money during harsh winters. And oh. it's called molly dancing because one of the dancers would be in drag, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, but the reason I wanted to look it up is I wanted to look at the seasonal origins. Sure. Uh, and so whether it was traditionally danced at the changing of the seasons. And the answer is... Yes, but not to herald the changing of the seasons. It just it would quite often be part of village events, and those would oh, yeah. be celebrations of seasonal shifting. Uh, but this, this is, is one of those things where I feel like Terry Pratchett's added to the folklore, and it's better now. Oh, well, this is uh, so. This is actually a line from Wikipedia article on Morris dancing. Uh-huh. The success of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels has seen the entirely invented dark Morris tradition being brought to life in some form by genuine Morris sides, such as the Witchman Morris and Jack Frost Morris. Fantastic. So while it is related to traditional seasonal festivals, uh, the completely made up Dark Morris is now traditionally danced. And obviously that's something from, it gets sort of referenced here that they dance Darker Morris as the seasons go to winter. It will get eventually a bit more background. Yeah, we'll go a bit meta when we get to that. Yes. We'll have a look at the the real life troops that have come from the Discord. For our listeners who have read all of the books, I highly recommend the Steel Ice Span album, Wintersmith, yeah. uh, which has an amazing Dark Morris song on it. Oh, I don't think you could. That, they are <laughs> so good. I love that album. <laughs> anyway. Uh, it's a great album. Yeah. I should say that I do realise that the, the New World will have its own ancient folk dancers from native populations in case from calls me out on that. I, I yeah. just mean the, the, the Canadians that you know specifically and the Americans we know specifically yes <laughs> but it is still fun to happen upon a Morris troop and then have to explain to your tourist friends what the yeah. fuck is happening well it's kind of a hmm well um <laughs> what did you tell them I just sort of said, oh, it's just this weird English thing and we don't really like to talk about it. Oh, yeah, I like that. Don't look them in the eyes and keep walking. (laughs) Um, Oh, this town, our town. Um, Anti-crimes. Anti-crimes? Anti-crimes, let me... This is, again, this is just a little footnote, but I like the idea. When Dibbler finds a cupboard full of snow globes that didn't originally belong to him, 
And he's wondering if someone broke in and put them there. Um, in accordance with the fundamental law that everything in the multiverse has its opposite, anti-crimes do exist. Giving someone something isn't the opposite of a ro- robbery. To be an anti-crime, it has to be done in such a way as to cause outrage and or humiliation to the victim. So breaking and decorating, proffering with embarrassment, uh, white mailing, uh, such as threatening to reveal to his enemies a mobster's secret donations to charity. So it'd be like me sending a picture of Jack cuddling the little puppy to his... Yeah. Like manly farm, yeah, yeah. I was about to say his mates at the farm is bullshit. Everyone there loves dogs too, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yes, what uh, what would be a good anti-crime to perform on you? On me? Oh, okay. Um, so humiliation and or embarrassment, it would be to come in and visibly correct some of my writing. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I like that. How about you? I, I'm trying to think of something. Um, like maybe like clean your deep clean your kitchen or something yeah deep cleaning my kitchen or like organizing my books in a way that makes it all a lot more functional because they are organized in a way that is very specific to me yeah but I'm sure there would be better ways so yeah breaking into my house and just reorganizing all of my books so it all works really well and flows smoothly yeah and then that's like an ongoing humiliation because like well this works so I'm gonna keep it but girl (laughs) I think that would be my ultimate anti-crime like it good stuff Hmm. so cuckoo cuckoo um yeah so the little snow globey fellas are little cuckoo parasites obviously yeah um and I thought I'd have a look at that uh they're called brood parasites which is quite a creepy name (laughs) um but yeah so cuckoo is the best known and they've got like hundred host species that they mm. they put their eggs in but more relevant to this most brood parasites are very breed specific in who they target right so they will evolve to have identical eggs to a specific bird um right. so like these snow globes are very specific to humans and humans who live in Ankh-Morpork even more yes, so because they've got models of things like the university and the palace yeah. and um but yeah so they can end up in kind of like a like an arms race with the host species so the host species starts getting more and more paranoid and the the parasite species starts getting better and better at mimicry oh that's really cool yeah um so most brood parasites are birds but as we like bees i thought i'd give a little shout out to cuckoo bees uh are a group of species known as kleptoparasites Klepto, of course, meaning steel, because the larvae left in host nests aren't directly fed by the hosts. Um, they just steal the food. Nice. Uh, fish have something called mouth brooding parasites, but I didn't want to look into that, so I didn't. Yeah, that's fair. I don't want to know about yeah, mouth brooding yeah, yeah, so parasites. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. And on that, Francine, do you have an obscure reference finial for I me? I do, and it's less disgusting. Oh, good. <laughs> that's nice. So when Windlepoons is looking at his diary or someone's... No, they're looking at Windlepoons' diary at the other wizards. It's labelled as Windlepoons' his diary. And obviously that's there to show that it's a very old thing. Um, mm. And it made me look twice. I wondered if it was the very old origin of the possessive apostrophe so that it was eventually right. trunc- truncated. Because I know we used to have a possessive ES suffix. Yeah. Uh, so it would be like Windlepoons' es diary. Yeah. Um, 
Sarah found a blog post which I'll link that led me to a wiki article which I'll link called uh, on his genitive it's called a his genitive um so it turns out it's not a linear evolution from like Jack his hat to Jack his hat to Jack's hat right it's, uh it just had a couple of heydays as like an alternative so um, in old English you get the possessive es for instance but um the the his genitive pops up in the 1200s for yeah. a bit um it's all a bit up in the air exactly when it came and went obviously because we're talking so long ago there's only so many documents we've still got um but i have bookmarks and further reading on it and then uh came up again in the 1400s and 1500s and then has kind of pretty much fucked off since but i quite like it as a as i think alternative. we should bring it back yeah in the, the in the first iteration it was always the his used or spelt without an H sometimes, so it was is occasionally. Mm. So it would be Joanna, his mug. Right. Um, so it's nothing to do with gender. No. Or it was just the male assumed, as you know, mm. language often is. Um, but considering it was spelt without an H so often, possibly not. It's, yeah. it, again, it's so hard to tell because we don't know how it was said exactly. Um, yes. It could have been Joanna, E's mug. That sounds too difficult. <laughs> but, but yeah. Yeah, it was quite cool. Anyway, you you know me, I like a bit of obscure etymology. We do like a bit of linguistics. Right. Well, I think we've said everything anyone could ever possibly say about the first 89 pages of Reaper Man. Fight me. Oh, actually, there was one thing I missed, which is the title itself is a play on Repo Man. Is it? Yeah. Huh. Which is a 1980s uh, classic cult movie. Oh, I've not seen it. Have you not? It's pretty good. Yeah? What's it about? Yeah. I don't remember. It's been so long. Since <laughs> I mean, I buy it's pretty good. I mean, I remember enjoying it, but I also watched it exactly once three years ago. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> also, in my head, I always mix it up with Repo, the genetic opera, which is one of my favorite films of all time. The fucking what? <laughs> Have you never had a... It is no, I haven't a, heard of Repo, the genetic opera. You're just putting words together. It is an industrial musical. It stars Anthony... Uh, set in a dystopian future where people have to borrow horrendous amounts of money for things like organ transplants. And if they can't pay the money back, a repo man comes and takes the organs they've had transplanted away. Jesus Christ. I didn't know an industrial musical was a thing, but I'm kind of into that already. As in the music is like industrial style. Oh, okay. Uh, People have uh, like back alley surgeries and get addicted to this stuff called Zydrate, which uh, is like an anesthetic for these back alley surgeries. Uh, it stars Anthony Stewart Head as the titular repo man. Uh, it has Paris Hilton in it, who is weirdly good. The uh, the Monty Python song, the universe, the galaxy song, is about the sketch surrounding it is somebody coming to donate organs, take forcibly take yes. organs, yeah. But yeah, so Reaper Man is a play on Repo Man, which in itself was originally a play on the term Reaper Man. But Terry Pratchett did say in an interview that he got the title from Repo Man. Ah, yeah. huh, cool. Yeah, I never even I never even considered it would be a play on anything. I thought it was just so. Yes, Cult Eighties classic. I vaguely remember watching. Quite good. Repo the genetic opera. Great. It's got Anthony Stewart head in it. Well, fair enough. Uh, now we've said everything. Now we've we definitely to say. said everything certainly on our little bits of paper i've gone paperless sure 
Thank you for listening to The Truth Shall Make You Fret. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast because it helps other people find us. And do tell other people about the podcast. Yeah, I feel like that's possibly even more important. Yes. Tell people. If you, if you know someone who likes Terry Pratchett, go, oh, hey, have you listened to this really cool podcast where people sometimes talk about Pratchett and talk about food a lot? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to say it like that. If you would like to send us a dispatch from the round world, you can follow us on Instagram at the Tree Shall Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod, on Facebook at the Tree Shall Make You Fret. You can join our subreddit, r slash TCSMYF. Which I occasionally and, remember to put stuff on. Yeah. You can also email us your thoughts, queries, castles, albatrosses, and snacks, the Truth Shall Make You Fret Pod at gmail.com. We will be back next week to talk about part two of Reaper Man. I don't know where part two is going to end yet. I will tweet it. <laughs> and in the meantime, dear listener, don't let us detain you. Well, I'm glad you're not going mad <laughs> with power. Thank you for not going mad.